Welcome to the Heroes of Reality podcast, a podcast about the game of life and the hero's journey we all experience. Let's jump in with our host, Dylan Watkins, as he introduces today's guest. What does it mean to be a warrior? What does it mean to be someone who can walk softly but carry a big stick? Can spiritualism and the warrior spirit be combined? Well, in this podcast, I have a very special guest. His name is Matthew Coder. He is an artist of the human mechanism, lifelong martial artist and yoga practitioner, bodybuilder, personal trainer, structural therapist, performance coach. He is on a mission to help people maximize their systems by being a mixed martial artist of the soul. He wants to foster joyful communities through individual transformation. And so without any further delay, I'd like to welcome Matthew. Hey, what's up, man? Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, man, I'm excited to have you on, dude. It's funny because I've seen you in so many different conditions and situations. And, you know, one of the last times I saw you, you were like, I saw like, you know, cross-legged Buddha style, you know, with the robes on in, uh, you know, in that kind of space, right? And now I see you in a tank top and a bar with a backlight environment. And it's like, it's very funny because you're like this, I, I would consider you like, like an unsuspecting monk, right? You've got this, like, it's a very interesting thing I've noticed uh, with you, which I absolutely appreciate. Um, and, I, and, uh, and I have lots of things about it, but it's, I've noticed how you kind of straddle these different worlds. Can you want to say anything about that? Yeah, well, um, I, you know, I think it's really beautiful that, uh, that you observe that. You know, I think you might be one of the first uh, individuals that I've had the pleasure of speaking with who's, who's made that observation. And um, it is a conscious effort. Um, it's part of my intention to bridge the gap between, you know, the monastery and the inner city, between the mystical and the material. You know, so he, now in... Um, at this time in human history and in, in, with the, all the years of uh, evolution of these various arts, martial arts, yogic arts, uh, all of those things, it's been my experience that humanity has come to a place where we're under the impression that in order to be spiritual or to be following or really dedicated, dedicated to a spiritual process of any sort, we have to forego um, so much of our earthly endeavors mm -hmm. and what i've discovered along this journey is that this process of renunciation yeah. is much more about renouncing your uh, attachment to outcomes and your attachments to the stories that you're telling yourself in your head about what you're experiencing so it's much more about inner freedom and i find that it's far more challenging and exciting of a possibility to explore the realm of inner freedom um, out in society because society provides the best possible mechanisms to challenge your own personal internal limitations. You know, uh, I think it's, it's helpful in the beginning to, if you've never done any of this kind of work, to first separate yourself outside of your usual social network that helps you get a little clear, mm -hmm. you know, cause it's like in the beginning, so much of 
how we're functioning within the matrices of our social structures is um, predicated on our life experience without massive internal awareness, you know, because if you've never practiced any real internal awareness processes for your entire life, your soul and spirit has been pointed in an outward direction through your senses piercing out into the world. Mm -hmm. And so you don't have yet the wisdom and knowledge just of an experience of what it's like to turn that spirit back inwards and deeply examine this unit and then to re-enter the world with all that wisdom. So um, I guess you could say like, I want to, in the interest of my own growth, I want to feel the most pressure. Mm-hmm. And there's nobody, you know, if you go set up a little cave somewhere where there's no temptation, you know, there's no buddy sitting behind you at a traffic light to, you know, honk at you or, you know, somebody to, you know, yell at you over something or all these little moments where it's easier for us to give into a tendency maybe to express our own abusive nature. Mm. You know, like a, a part of us seeing, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be abusive. I want to have the capacity to be able to use myself on my command like this. I don't want anybody to have any control over my inner spaces. So being out into the world actually gives me a better opportunity to mirror, reflect myself versus if I'm just in a cave and it's just me, I don't, I can't really know how deep my process is working. You know, because there'll be, there'll invariably be some uh, weak points. So it's, so it's really about kind of being out in the world and constantly testing yourself, you know, testing your resolve, testing, testing who you really are against the actual temptations of life, right? So that we basically aren't struggling because you don't know, like if you, if you, if you go into the, if you go into the cave, if you go into a desert, there's no way to actually know if you actually have your own willpower and resistances, you know, it's super easy to be monkly in a cave, but it's super hard to be monkly as you, as you walk down the street and you go past a, a fast food joint or you get into an argument with a significant other or any of those other situations that pop up. So you're, you're, it's more of like a, it's a, it's a constant test for you. Is that kind of what's going yeah. down? Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And it's a, it's, it's an endeavor to be the creator of my life. Mm. What, you know, what do, you think, what do you think was the genesis of I mean, that's a really interesting thing to be testing yourself constantly in that kind of format and situation where you put yourself in these situations where you go, you find out. And what I would say is that when I think about like number one skill is, uh, you know, when I look at that is poise, right? The ability to unflinch or not flinch under pressure, right? In that situation and whatever that, whatever that situation is. And that's one thing I've noticed with you a lot is that when I first connected with you and we were hanging out together, because we had a friend's event uh, over in Utah that we were hanging out together. And I was like, I was just kind of testing the waters with you because you're very <laughs> monthly. I'm like, what are you, what are you into? What do you like about this? What do you think about that? And I'm just kind of like poking the edges. Right. And I noticed you had, you had, you, did, you had a lot of poise. There's a lot of, and so, um, you know, when you look at leveling up your characters and your traits and you look at like what that, that resilience of the inside, what do you really, 
what are you looking to transform on yourself? What, what would you consider that to be? Well, you know, what I was, what I want to transform is I want to become aware of any part of myself that I'm unaware of that is driving stories, yeah. which are ultimately then creating emotions or driving behaviors that, that don't give me the effects in my external life that I'm after. See, I, I'm also very clear about what I want. Like, I don't want to be an enemy with anybody. Now, I don't want problems if like, I don't want, if I, like, I'm kind of like this. I don't want problems. So if I do everything in my power to avoid problems, but if a problem shows up, fine, you know, okay. You know, like, I'm just, oh, I'm, this is, um, what I'm wanting to do is not be resistant to life and the life process. And so that I can move with the flow of life versus feeling what I want is to not feel like I'm in a state of constant friction and war. Mm. I want to feel like I'm going with whatever life is offering me. And then in that capacity, I don't want to, I don't want to react. I don't want to be reactional. I want to be responsive and I want to be responsible. I want to be responsible, you know, and because if you think about it, what kind of things are unresponsive, dead things. Mm -hmm. So I want to be fully alive. I want to feel that like radical sense of beauty and wonder every single moment of my life, because it is possible and it is available to us. So why not have it? Yeah. With that, I mean, I mean, that's also talking about that and looking at that is you have an issue where we often respond, don't react. Something happens to us in a situation where it's like, when you just respond and, or when you react and you don't respond, you have no power, right? You have zero power. You are a you are a, a cog in the wheel of my enjoyment. So if I if I if I can push a button on you and you react the exact way I want you to, there's you have no power. I just go boop and then you respond, right? And boop and then you just respond. And and you uh you talk very you, you, you talk monkly, but you have a very uh uh powerful background of where you, you it's not about if, if let's put it this way, if shit was to go down, whether you, you went to a physical confrontation with somebody, like you would be fine. I mean, you have a, you have a, uh, uh, just, just so people know, can you just talk a little bit about your background of conflict, right? And, and some of your warrior aspects, so we can talk about, so they can kind of get a gauge of that. Cause I think it's, it's super easy well, I want to knock on this because I think a lot of people, they try to bypass that warrior stage. They try to bypass that stage and try to go right to the enlightenment stage. But then when conflict mm-hmm. happens, they fall to pieces, right? Mm-hmm. It's super easy mm-hmm. to be all monkly, but then someone honks their horn at you in your car and they freak out or they scream at the, the person at the fast food place because they didn't put super sauce on their taco or whatever the situation is, they crumple into that conflict. So I want to know, how did you gain resilience through conflict? And just talk a little bit about your conf- the, the, you know, how you've gained that strength of your past. Well, I gained, I gained the resilience through combat. 
mm-hmm. like through like lived uh, combat, through living through like witnessing people be in violent situations yeah. regularly, seeing, uh, sitting back and observing and go, how, you know, how did this violent situation get to this point? And, and, um, you know, when I was born to uh, a 16 year old, you know, young girl who was raised by a single mother whose father had abandoned her. So my mom was like a, you know, just a, a, a young girl, very young, 15 when she got pregnant. My dad was 17. So they were 17 and 15. Then they both turned 16 and 18 because their birthdays are just like five days apart. So they both turned 16 and 18 when they had me, but both of them were the products of abusive families. You know, my like very, very, uh, a lot of neglect, a lot of mental, emotional neglect, a a lot of physical abuse on their part. And I do believe now in my attempts at looking back at, at them at that age, they, they wanted to have a, a baby, maybe most likely unconsciously. You know, they wanted to have a baby uh, as an attempt to break free from those abusive cycles. Um, However, that then put them into a position where they, you know, they really weren't prepared to support financially a child and they really weren't prepared to deal with the the mental, emotional intricacies of Mm -hmm. being young parents. They had all of this hurt in their own hearts and, you know, just unresolved things about their past and relationships with their parents. And they were radically underskilled to withstand the ruthless competition that is out here within the society when you're going out and attempting to kind of like, you know, place your, your flag out there. And so that, you know, my just kind of left them, um, you know, like, like my dad in the beginning was, uh, a li- like in, in Iowa, which is where I'm from, Des Moines, capital city, um, and then all the rural areas around there. Um, you know, at that time I was born in 1986, I'm 35. So, you know, my dad was working on a lot of grain elevators around in rural Iowa. And, you know, there's not a lot going on in 1986 in rural Iowa, other than like wrestling, football, drug use, violence you know and a lot of violence around drug and and drink use you know and you know you you imagine working as a welder on a grain elevator for you know what is really pennies on the dollar mm-hmm. often is not like a life i mean it's it's needed and i respect everybody that does it but when i observe those men a lot of those men are radically depressed radically feeling underserved they feel like they've given up on some other former dream and this is all they can do so it was hard work hard work labor and my mom was a single mom didn't know what she wanted to do and so that because of all of those things it created a condition where we struggled financially like in a big way yeah and uh, there was a lot of drug use a lot of a lot of drinking and within those environments you know whether they were trying to shield me from it as much as they can or not you know invariably a lot of the the darkness of those environments gets spilled over um you know my parents definitely loved me very much they loved me very much very much and to the best of their ability always wanted to keep me sheltered from as much of that as they could but invariably you can't 
Yeah. You know, you just, you just can't. And so then, um, I got, I became very adult-like really early and my natural nature, like my nature coming into this world is just a silent, quiet observer. If you were to ask any of my family members, they would tell you that, you know, Matthew was just such a good boy. He never acted out. He never threw a fit. He always did as he was told. He just sat there quietly. And um, so I've always kind of had this silent observer nature. And so I would watch the world around me and um, the pain of everybody around me was, was overwhelming for my little body and my little heart and my little mind. And I couldn't understand why everybody was so hurt and why, like, at the, you know, just kind of growing up, I was trying to figure everything out. And um, we moved a lot because if you don't make a lot of money, you know, you're in a home, then you get evicted, you know, then you go to another place. You know, we used to have to, at times, go hunt for cans in order to get a box of macaroni and cheese and, and, and hot dogs. When times were, like, yeah. really hard, we'd call it can hunting, you know. Yeah. And um, so times were rough. And then within that, you know, like, there's a lot of kids around, too, that have parents that are maybe more abusive or less abusive. And just violence is kind of there. It's just kind yeah. of part of it. <clears throat> so I got bullied a bunch like a ton and uh, saw some abusive things happen with my mother that were, that were very difficult for me at that age to understand and contemplate, you know? And um, I had some people that, you know, tried to hurt me in a big way to, in re even as a child to try to like, you know, like a, my mom had a stalker at one point in time that was like so bad that he would follow me home from school with a gun you know, and like different, you know, different, like really crazy things like that. So yeah. it became a part of my life really quick. And then yeah. somewhere along the way of just being bullied all the time, I, I figured out that like, if I don't do anything at all, the bullying will never stop. And I, even as a child, I hated the feeling of not being able to stand up for myself. And eventually the feeling of like, cause I was afraid, like, I mean, combat is yeah. scary, whether you're like six years old or even still, like there's an element of fear to it. It's always scary. Mm. It's always scary. And so then I just was like, I never wanted to do it. I never wanted to fight, but I got to a point where it was like the pain of feeling like I was a coward for not standing up for myself was, was so much greater than any of the pain that I thought I would face from getting my ass kicked. And so then I just decided to start fighting back. Yeah. So then is, is that when you got into niche martial, martial arts or, you know, can you talk to me a bit about your combat history? Yeah, well, I, um, I got my ass kicked a lot trying to stand up for myself. <laughs> well, yeah, okay. that is, that is, and, a, uh, yeah. You know, like, cause like there's, you know, if you don't know, if you don't know how to fight, yeah. then you just, you're just trying to like fight off of emotion. Yeah. You know, and like just, you know, and like, you don't know how to throw your punches. You don't know how to hold your body. You don't, you don't know anything about strategy. It's just, I'm going to like, I just want to rip you to shreds and do whatever like comes to my mind in the, in that moment. Right. And, um, and in Iowa, I was a heavy wrestling state. So then like, I realized really quickly, I'm like, dude, a lot of these guys know some shit. I don't know. 
and they're like taking me to the ground, mounting me and just pounding my face into the ground, like literally, you know? And um, I'd be laying there feeling these dudes like hit me in the face and, you know, my head's pinned against the ground and it's just like, boom, going black. And I can feel those thuds. And I would think to myself, I'd be like, you just wait, bitch. I'm going to fucking learn some shit. I'm going to come back and you ain't going to be able to do this to me. Yeah. And so then I figured out that I needed to, to learn a skill. So as a teen, I mean, we didn't have any money. So as a, as a teenager, or as a kid, um, first it was like, there was a karate program that was being sponsored by a church. And so I was doing like, um, karate programs as a kid, taekwondo programs as a kid. Um, but I found that my karate just like did not do shit against a wrestler like ever. Like they would just, I didn't know what was going on at the time. Like when I went to karate, I thought I was becoming Jean-Claude Van Damme and I was going to finally, you know, beat these dudes asses. And, uh, and then they would just kick the shit out of me, but I kept going to karate and, and then eventually I figured out I needed to wrestle or I needed to like figure out this wrestling grappling thing in my teenage years. And, um, and I also needed to learn how to strike. And fortunately for me, this guy moved to my town who was a part of the Militage fighting systems. The Militage fighting systems was uh, uh, ran by Pat Militich. And Pat Militich is like a UFC legend. And he trained many uh, world champions. Matt Hughes uh, fought out of Militich. Um, Robbie Lawler fought out of Militich. Josh Neer fought out of Militich. And, uh, and I met this guy named Abel and he was like a Muay Thai guy and was doing MMA and stuff. And so he started kind of like really teaching me some of the basics to Muay Thai and, and MMA. And that was where I got fascinated, uh, with MMA early on was because nobody fought like when you would see boxers fight, like, and that always tripped me out. I was like, dude, Pete. And then if you, and then like, if you tried to say, well, let's just keep it on the feet, right? Like one, that would be ignored. <laughs> that, that, that would be ignored, you know? Yeah. And, and so it was like, well, it doesn't matter if I sit here and call you, cause then you try to use your emotional tactics to get them to like, stay on the feet with you, you know, where you go, you try to call them a, a, a bitch for not wanting to stand and, and just throw fists, right? Yeah, uh, or whatever. And that doesn't work. They still just take you down and, and pound you out. And I'm like, okay, well, okay, so boxing just doesn't work in a real street fight application. Just doesn't work. I yeah. mean, uh, entirely, <clears throat> like, because what do I do if this guy tries to take me down? So I yeah. realized that I needed to learn how to fight in a real street application. And I became obsessed with, uh, with MMA. Plus at that time I wasn't doing any awareness practices. So I wanted to hurt people. Yeah. Like I was, I wanted to. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. You want, I mean, you're, 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 people are causing pain and you're looking to reinflict the pain and yeah, especially in a street fight, there's no rules. You can't, (laughs) you know, a situation where, uh, yeah, it's not a, it's not a, because you can't like, it's, it's about, can you hurt the other person? So you saw a pattern of, you freak out emotionally as everyone does. If you get taken to the ground or, or you just get beaten up, you start getting beaten up and you have no power, no control. And you're okay. I'm going to, I'm going to figure some things out. And there are, yeah, there are no rules when you first start out 
um, learning to uh, do mixed martial arts. I, I remember, uh, I remember watching like the UFC fights, the original ones where it's basically wild, wild west. And you see what happens, you know, when these fighters, these stand-up people would go to town with these grapplers and what does Hoist Gracie do to some of these new people out the gate, right? And it doesn't matter how big and strong and tough you are. If you get taken to the ground, you just get, you get beat up on. So, so then you started, started, you started learning some real stuff, some mixed martial arts, Muay Thai styles. And is that where you started to gain your, what I, what I would call poise and be able to respond, not react under pressure? Or what were the, what do you feel were some of those, those kind of like uh, um, plateau moments where you, you felt like you were actually leveling up in that area? Yeah, you know, I, I would say it, it started to reveal itself over a course of different disciplines from weightlifting to martial arts to like doing track, anything that involved my body that would like sort of draw out the part of me that wanted to quit under pressure. Mm -hmm. You know, like whenever you would feel like I would feel pressure if we were, you know, doing hill sprints for for football when I was like playing football in my freshman, sophomore year. And I would feel that part of me that would just want to quit. And I became very, very aware of the part of me that wanted to quit under pressure. Because then I started to realize, okay, well, like, I have to retrain my relationship to this feeling. This feeling is going to come up whenever I feel pressure. And I keep choosing the one that shrinks backwards and yields and, and, and quits. And or I choose it enough, you know, I choose it enough. And so then I, I had to retrain my relationship to that feeling and find many different opportunities to retrain, you know, to retrain that feeling. And, and it didn't happen all at once, you know, really, mm. I really developed my poise in a big way. I joined the Marines when I was 17 years old. And I would say I, I like the Marine Corps at 17 years old, uh, with where I was at in my heart, which was like, I was, I was ready and primed to be a different human being at 17. Like I desperately wanted to not be like the environment around me. And uh, the marketing of the Marines is so like intense, especially, you know, like, I mean, they've got like yeah. the raddest uniforms and honor, courage, commitment, you know, the few, the proud. The Marines. And I was like, I want that, you know? And, um, and so I have to really give them a, a credit because those men in my world, people never live in alignment with what they say and what they do. Like they, uh, most of the time they say something, they do something else, or they're intentionally telling you something to smoke screen you so that then when they take their actions, you know, you're they're trying to disguise their real actions you know what i'm saying yeah, so yeah. i had to learn really quickly how to how to read you know various aspects of the human system just to kind of survive that environment and i very rarely felt any human being up to that point that lived in alignment mm -hmm. where like what they thought what they felt and what they did and their actions were all just like 100 percent and and it wasn't a do as I say, it was a do as I do situation. I'd never really experienced that or seen it or been with it. And so when I joined the Marines and these dudes, 
I mean, like they ride your ass nonstop. Like it's, and, and you, they, they are very, very effective at reprogramming your mind and getting you. And the whole, the whole premise too, part of that training is, is, you know, you can't panic in a war scenario. I mean, you can, but if you do, then your risk of death is now radically increasing and the the likelihood that you might cause death or injury to a teammate is very high yeah and so then the whole training is like they're constantly yelling at you putting you in stressful situations and then demanding that you do what they call hold your bearing hold your bearing where where you don't that's what they would call it. they would say hold mm -hmm. your bearing which means like you don't express what you're feeling. Mm. It's all just locked away. And then you have this capacity to take action irrespective of how you feel or think. So, yeah, so then you're learning to master your actions over your feelings so that you don't, you know, so you're, as, as they say, the inner bitch or whatever you want to call it doesn't respond, which is something that we don't really get tested. Like as like a lot of us, because I I'd never gone through anything like that is that we don't really have like a coming of age kind of situation for a lot of young adults that you don't really get tested where you get stressed and you get challenged and you get, it's like this milky water, you know, change from being a boy to being a man where it's just kind of slowly changes over time. And you don't really get that, that intensity and that pressure. So, you know, yeah, you don't, I mean, and like, and if I, I love that you brought that up because I really like, it was the intensity of that masculine energy yeah. that ultimately changed the trajectory of my life. You know, I mean, I know right now society is in a, in a current cultural condition where it's a demonizing masculine, you know, and, um, uh, and we're going to come out of it because because humanity is, is perpetually in a state of evolution. Like, you know, like you can't have the iPhone 13 without iPhone one. Yeah. yeah. So hu humanity is going through its, its process of refinement. Right. Yeah. And, um, and nature will balance itself out. It always does, or it'll, or it'll wipe out anything that's not working. Yeah. What's, I mean, talking about the, the masculinity thing and the fact that, yeah, it, it's not, people talk about toxic masculinity and mansplaining and a lot of, a lot of these other terms that's like, but we, we really need, like, it, there's a, I think what it's more about specifically, and when we kind of dive into it is they can't separate uh, masculinity with and without honor. Right. And mm. I think, one of the biggest challenges is they look at masculinity as some aggro aggressive dominating force that's going to that is the villain of the story right versus you know there it's there's a thing about being masculine and having that aggressive energy right but also having the honor to not use it on people that are weaker it's not abuse it's it's to have that masculine power without abusing it you know yeah, you know, I, I'm with that 100%. And in the Marines, you know, we always used to, part of the culture was that a Marine defends those who can't defend themselves. Yeah. You know, and so like you have this, you start to develop this inner culture where there's a, a desire to want to take care of and to support 
um, something that is is weaker than you. And and I think our culture and our society right now, um, they want equality of circumstance and they want equality of outcome. Like they want it to be like we're all equal uh, and we're all uh, here and we're all going to get the equal outcomes, right? And if you look at life, though, we're all born to different backgrounds. We're all born into different situations. And then through our, our, how our environment, that container, like a plant shapes us, but also then most importantly, through our own choices and our own decisions. Yeah. How that shapes our capabilities and our skill sets. You know, what, what we're choosing to train in our daily lives is having far more of, a, of an effect on wh- where our life is than our environment even is. It's, it's really coming down to choice. And so when I think of where we're at with what you're just referencing, there, there's a humanity is going through a place where uh, awareness is actually rising all over the globe. People are becoming more conscious and more aware of their inner spaces, more conscious and more aware of how their human system is working. And we're seeing a collective you know, rise in the vibrational frequency of humanity, which sounds a little hairy-fairy, but I'm going to put it to you like really succinctly. Um, if, you, if you notice, like the, the heart has a literal magnet around it and the heart omits uh, an electrical freak like oh, it omits frequencies that's why whenever somebody comes in you can oftentimes feel their emotional state from clear co- across the room because their heart is omitting a frequency or their mind is omitting a frequency uh, or a sound you see if you there and there are plenty of experiments that show wherever there's a sound in the universe there's also a physical form and wherever there is a physical form there's subsequently also a sound. So like your body is producing a sound. You, Dylan, you have your own sound signature right now, if that's kind of making sense. So as we are becoming more aware of these different aspects of our system and and what is going on with the system, we can become more conscious over the masculine and feminine parts of our system because a human being is equal parts feminine, equal parts masculine. Mm-hmm. Like in terms of an energetic, like an, an energetic. And so as a biological male, what I've discovered is, is that, that a, a biological male body that uh-huh. is sort of in tune with nature, where like how nature intended the biological male body to be, he needs access to healthy masculine. He, he needs that. He needs it. His body needs it. Yeah. And, um, and it actually gives room for the relationship that the masculine has with the feminine to be in balance. You think of the yin-yang symbol. It's not that one is better than the other. It's that they're, they are uniquely different and they serve each other. Yeah, they that- serve each other. It's that push-pull relationship. It's that tension in the opposite. And it's also that, because mm-hmm. you don't want, as is like, you know, uh, for some men, I can only speak to some, it's like, you don't necessarily want your woman to be masculine like you. You want to be masculine. You want your woman to be feminine or vice versa. And I'm sure the dynamics are different for every relationship. But overall, like, yeah, you, it's, it's, a, it's that balance. It's not like no weight. It's just balancing on both sides of that equation. And so you're talking about the 
you got a chance to have intense masculinity thrusted upon you that you were ready for, right? And yes, because so, I grew up with a single mom. Mm. I grew up with a single mom that, uh, so I was very, very much around women all the time. You yeah. know, my mother is very exceptionally emotive, like, you know, like all women, women, like, you know, most, most women really operate from their emotional centers. Yeah. And men don't really operate that way. And that's something that, like, men operate much more from, like logic and reason if they can't get it logically and with reason then then uh, the emotional component is that's why oftentimes communication breaks down because they're approaching their attempt at using their language to come to that point of unity from different perspectives and they don't realize that it's really just a, a breakdown in communication if you could figure out how to be much more precise with your words then you could probably come together and solve that energetic that energetic situation. So my masculine like access was mm -hmm. radically out of balance when I was 17. And because the masculine gives, gives like a frame, it gives you a frame. Like we have to have discipline. Mm -hmm. If you don't have discipline, you don't have the power of choice. And if you don't have the power of choice, you don't have freedom. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's one of the things that we look at, like the lack of masculinity that's why for you i for you you're an, an interesting enigma to me that you have a combination of the yogi balance but also the warrior spirit that the both sides of those equations and you speak very kinesthetically you speak very much about um physical energies and communications and uh there's something you, you said really interesting to me uh and i'm gonna i'm gonna lead up to it in this conversation uh but i want to talk a little bit about you talk a lot about emotions being in the body, right? You talk about feeling where those things are and something because a lot of people, they have this unawareness of the body. They have an unawareness of expression. They have an unawareness where they, they get into conflict. They don't know how to resolve it. They get mad. They lash out. They blame. They victimize. They all that kind of stuff, but they, they're unaware of their internal emotions and what's going on in their body. Can you talk to me a little bit about some of the challenges that people face with this, because I feel like there's an issue here between the, the lack of connection with the masculinity and the emotions in people's bodies and their inability to respond in a way that, that they have power over. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, I have this thing that I, that, you know, like some, uh, our, our dear friend, Dane Maxwell gave me a challenge not too long ago to come up with like five obstacles to inner prosperity. Cause I was talking about, you know, inner prosperity with him in a conversation. Mm. And the first number one obstacle to like inner prosperity, which you might then call your, your awareness, your capacity to be aware, the best and most treasurous prosperous thing that you could have is your ability to be aware. Yeah. And so the, the obstacle to that is, is toxicity of the human system. So like you have, you have toxins in your system in the form of like, you know, poor food, poor high, you know, drinking habits, um, whether that's like poisons, like alcohol, stuff like that, that are not designed, like your body's not designed to consume these substances. Those, those poisons live inside the adipose tissues. They get stored inside the system. Um, the system is also out of balance, like meaning like it's out of balance in a number of different ways. Maybe you're underrested, maybe you're under exercised. There can be a number of things that throw the system out of balance. And one of the things that we have yet to 
recognize big in humanity in a big way culturally. There are books out there about this. Like people are on board with this. There's plenty of Harvard professors that are studying this about how emotion and stuff is stored in the body. Um, there's actually a book called The Body Keeps the Score, which is a good book. Uh, and then it is about how your body is, is keeping a memory record of every experience of your life. In fact, your body has so much memory, has far more memory than your mind, far more, like exponentially more memory. And so when we experience things in our lives, if we don't know how to resolve those emotions and return back to our baseline equilibrium, see, most people don't even know what their equilibrium is anymore. Like they think that life is suffering with moments of joy and pleasantness. And, and that is completely wrong. Your soul, your spirit is infinitely blissful by its own nature. It doesn't need anything, actually. It needs nothing. It doesn't need a woman. It doesn't need a car. It doesn't need a job. It doesn't need anything. It, by its own nature, its baseline equilibrium is bliss. And then we have, then the real, so then, then the real way of operating would be like baseline bliss, moments of suffering, not baseline suffering, moments of bliss. So culturally, the vast majority of, of humanity is living in the inverse. And That's so, a, go ahead. No, it's super interesting. I mean, you're looking at that. So you're saying that then my, my question to that is then what is causing the reversal? So what is causing the, the lifestyle, lifestyle and lifestyle choices? Mm. Like we're, we're radically disconnected from nature radically. We have so much noise polluting our brains. Uh, we are so disconnected from reality. We live in artificial environments uh, from the climate controlled house that you live in to the climate controlled car that you drive you know, to the like fresh, clean water that's always supplied in your shower. Um, you know, now even too, like with what you're passionate about to the extension from cell phones to the metaverse, mm -hmm. you know, all of these other things, reality is happening out here, you know? And so yeah. what has happened is when we get into, especially city environments, there, there's so much noise, there's noise. There's the noise of everybody around you. There's the, like their, their minds, their hearts. That's all omitting a frequency. And like, like, let's just use those word frequencies and radio waves. Then there's cell signaling, Wi-Fi signaling, the racket of cars, cars moving up and down the road. Just so much motion is creating noise, which starts to radically cloud perception. And then, you know, people naturally start to make lifestyle choices that are in pursuit of one universal common goal. That universal common goal is pleasantness. Mm. At the core of every human decision that every human makes, even one, ones that are self-destructive, is a desire to have a more pleasant experience than the one they're presently having. So it's, is that moving towards comfort? Is that kind of what you're talking about away from pain? Is that? That can be a component. That, yeah. could, that could be a component for many, but it's not necessarily. They just want pleasantness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and then so, everyone's trying to go about that in a different way. Some people are trying to do it. In a different way. Yeah. So a quick hit with, 
coffee or whatever. Another one is I'm going to try to uh, grind to be a professional guitarist for 20 years or whatever it might be. So, so then if you look at it, you got to go, are the mechanisms that I'm using to create this lasting pleasantness that I'm seeking, is it working at creating the lasting pleasantness? So when it comes to the body and feeling the body and the emotions of the body, everything about our human systems is interconnected. And in fact, our, like, let's just use the physical body alone. Let's not even look at anything else. Let's just separate out every other part of your system and only look at your body. Most people um, think of their muscles, but they often forget like that there's a structure inside of the muscle called their bones. And then there are breaks in those bones where, where nature has created specifically an intentional area of space called a joint where the body is supposed to have capacity for movement. So where we even position our understanding, where we position our initial focus is often not at the core of what there's the bone, then there's the muscle, then we miss out something on something entirely, which is the connective tissue matrix. And that's most important because it's the most abundant tissue in the whole body, the connective tissue matrix. It's so abundant, it wraps individual muscle fibers, then it wraps whole groups of muscle fibers, then it grows in between the gliding surfaces of muscles, it goes into, it goes into organs, it encases organs, it's literally everywhere. And it's like, a, it's like a connective tissue matrix, almost like a spider web. So is when that, you feel is that the your fascia? body, that's the fascia. That yeah, I never. I, yeah, yeah. I'm not 100. Uh, percent um, I I've heard people say the word fascia, but I don't really fully understand it. So it's really it's a connective tissue. It's wrapped around everything in your body. It's connected to all the organs. It's connected to everything. It's kind of wrapped around bones, and it's kind of like this this whole linking kind of rail um, road system around the body. Yes, yes. It's what allows energy to move through the system. So like when you contract a muscle. The old way of thinking from a Western anatomical perspective, and the yogis have known about this stuff for thousands of years. That's what's so fascinating about all this stuff is that like we are living in a time where East and West are converging and our approaches to the science of understanding the human condition and reality are converging for the first time ever in human history because we have access to an infinite library via the internet. And we can, you know, we can combine arts finally for the first time uh so there are so much of western science doesn't understand the full complexities of the myofascial system yet right mm, yeah. um, because and a lot of it is is because they don't have measurements metrics uh and machines to measure all the various metrics and they they might not even know what to look for you know because they're always approaching it from an outside observational, like I'm looking at you and looking at your fascia as to where like the yogi goes, let me turn all of my attention inward and pay such extreme attention to my system that I'm doing field study in real time, but on my own system from within. Mm -hmm. So, they're, so they're, they're in tune with their internal mechanisms that are going on and so that they can kind of feel what is actually happening they can feel the the impact the trauma the the situation something that the the the, the way that you're talking about how the body is holding these memories and holding the score is that is that correct yes 100 percent 100 percent 
Because the, the more you pay attention to the inside world, then it will, it like, so, you'll, it will reveal itself to you. Well, then let's look at that for a second. Let's say someone was, how does someone start to gain awareness of what's going on on the internal landscape, not just the mind, but in the body? Like, what does that look like? If I'm, if I have a situation that I am unaware and maybe that that thing is trauma or that is pain or that is suffering or that is some sort of thing that is inside of me, right? What, what would you do to help someone um, move through that? I think the first thing that I would do is get them invested in a movement practice of some sort of any kind. Like if we think of it as a hierarchy of progressions, mm-hmm. let's say they're not doing anything awareness at all right and then likely when they're doing their movement if they if they have a present movement practice then then i would just i would give them a tool to bring awareness into their present movement practice i've developed a very specific map for things to look at in your system and how to use that map when you're moving so and i would just integrate that tool right into either a present movement practice or i would get them involved in in a movement practice where they're moving their bodies and they're actually getting into their bodies because there's no way to sensitize yourself to your system without getting into your system and so a movement practice could be anything like yoga or tai chi or some sort of stretchings or some sort of some sort of thing where you're static dancing some sort of movement thing that's causing you to get a, a sensational feeling and you're being connected to the relationship of the dance with your body yes yes and and it can be anything for like the very beginner it can be anything like the goal is not to like uh jump them to what is like most optimal right away the goal is is to give them what is most optimal for them where they're at yeah you know because good information given at the wrong time i've discovered is bad information doesn't matter if it's great. If I give it to a person at the wrong moment of receptivity, you know, whether that's like receptivity from a physical standpoint or receptivity from a psychological standpoint, then, uh, you know, we won't actually be able to walk them to their outcomes. And, um, and I'm very much invested in winning. I don't want to do stuff unless, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm fully willing to go through the losing process, but ultimately I want to get an outcome. I don't want to just waste time because time is our most precious asset so i would want to get them going with something that like they could do and get get the awareness wheels turning Mm. okay so then so someone invests in a movement practice someone they're just starting you know they're completely unconscious of the behavior whatever the thing might be they start some sort of movement practice anything that works for them whatever that might be someone might do yoga someone might do dancing someone insert a thing right because something is better than nothing and instead of trying to have like, it's like working out, right? When you first start the workout, yeah, uh, six days a week with 30 minutes of running and, 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 and 30 minutes of car and heavy lifting, anything, but just anything. Otherwise people get that, you know, they get overwhelmed. You want to get that habit of the practice of getting started. Um, so if you, if you got them to be aware and you got them to start moving, right. And you got them to get invested into the actual practice of being connected with their body Can you talk to me about some of the ways or examples or things where you've seen people be able to process their emotions or process their trauma or be able to, in some ways, by being 
having awareness of the inside the bottom body has allowed them to respond and not react to a situation in terms of what is the result that is capable of say someone does these practices, they start to build these things up, they start to get good at this, they start to get connected to themselves. Can you talk to me about what is that? What is that? How do they apply that in situations where they're struggling? Well, okay, so yeah, that's a great question. So let's say, let's just say I'm taking a fresh off the couch person, they've been sitting on the couch for 10 years, you know, and let's say they're uh, kind of an office worker too, you know, so they're not, they're not hitting like a 10,000, you know, step daily goal or anything like that. Um, if I just ask them to get up and say, walk a half a mile, uh, they're, they're going to, they're going to immediately confront their body in a new way. So all of this work is actually quite confrontational in the beginning. It's all, it's always confrontational. Uh, they're they're going to have to confront the reality of their body. The exercises have to, they have to challenge you. They have to challenge you to be in the body. So, but we are just trying to make those challenges meet that person. And so then the, the, the moment you get into the body in an intense way, then your heart and emotion will be revealed. Because then you find out how you really, how you really respond. Yeah, because if it's if it's super easy when you're when you're you know in a warm bath to talk about all the difficult things you can do, but it's that you but you're not tested. The tested is where you get the Got it. And tested and 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 getting tested is where you really see what your real where your real character is. You see, because anybody can pretend to be joyful and pleasant and happy when like everything's comfortable. But who you really are will be revealed when things are uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. That's that's when who you really are really comes out. So, so you're putting your these people through these micro confrontations of themselves so that they can uncover and discover who they are, right? What how do they respond to conflict? How do they respond to challenges? How do they respond to uncomfortability? How do they figure out and how do they challenge themselves and how do they fold? Right. How do they, what are the situations yes. where they're now themselves now? Because I, one of the things that I've noticed before is like, you know, I had, a, I had issues with difficult conversations with people um, because I wanted to be liked, but then I also wanted to be heard and wanted to be liked and wanted to be heard are not always in alignment with each other. And so I've, I saw where I would start to blame the world for me being fearful to actually ask for what I want, to set boundaries, to put myself out there. And I noticed that I would start to view myself less than because I would start to blame everybody else. I couldn't be the hero of my own story because I would constantly avoid these conflicts with people because I wanted to be liked, but then I was in suffering because I wasn't heard. And I, and I viewed myself as a, just a weak bitch a weak bitch that couldn't communicate. <laughs> right. And so, uh, re, you know, I've, I've in my areas of my missions has been trying to get more comfortable with being in that pleasant conflict with people, including mm-hmm. myself, where I, I, I collide in a way that's, I try not to be reactive and I try to be, uh, responsive to the situations. And, and I've done that a lot with people that were now, I'm more so at the point where if I find that there's uncomfortabilities with somebody, I will grab them and hold them closely 
and be in that conflict with them because I want the resolve. I want to resolve the situation. I want to sit in that situation uh, just for my own sanity. <laughs> yeah. So then, so then you've already become aware through whatever movement practices or practices that you've done to bring you into that uncomfort. It, those something drove you into your heart to where you could become aware of that. Mm-hmm. Then, and so then what I find beautiful is like you outlined something that I discovered because what you're wanting is you realize that you were wanting outcomes from those experiences and the mechanisms that you, the internal actions that you were taking. Yeah. It wasn't working to get you those mechanisms and it wasn't, it wasn't working on the inside. Yeah. And then you had the wherewithal at some point in time to, to become aware you, you got aware often, you know, like through grace, we become aware and, and you started to realize that you needed to make yourself comfortable with confrontation because confrontation wasn't going away. Yeah. And that's the and, thing, man. And, and that's what I want to talk, like, looking at with what you're talking about here is that like, yeah, in terms of like uh, colliding in conversations, I'm much more comfortable now. Um, mm-hmm, I don't mm-hmm. think in, I don't think in a physical altercation to where if like me and you collided like and there was a physical like I don't think I'd have as much I think it for me it's easier to have a difficult conversation than it is to be punched in the face I don't think my response would be as poised (laughs) as 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 my guess you would be but the thing is like I feel like you're um if you can handle the physical conversation with someone in that violent situation where there is a collision then the handling the difficult conversation is, is kind of like uh Russian doll wrapped around that one, right? It's like if you, yeah. And so talk because yeah, go for it. Well, all all verbal confrontation, especially between males, holds within it the seed of physical violence. Mm. You know, like so, like whenever we're we're talking to each other, like we're always hyper aware that physical violence is on the table. Yeah, you know. And so that, and and since it's always there, and if you've ever actually really been in a fight and you know how Mm -hmm. bad it sucks, then you're like, even if you're trained in fighting, even if you've been training and fighting forever, um, you know, like it sucks, you know, like it's, it's, it's painful. Like somebody's punching you in the face or somebody could stab you or something could happen. I mean, and then like, you're really genuinely putting your life on the line. Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, you the, know, so go ahead. The social threats, um, they're intense, right? They're emotional because we're, we're tribal creatures, right? We want to, we want to be accepted and loved and connected and, you know, no conflict, all that jazz, but it's, it, it's another order of magnitude beyond that for the physical threats. And you're right. Cause especially with men is well, with men, we can like, we're pleasant, but I fully expected to get, if I say something disrespectful to get punched in the face. Like, I fully feel like that is on the table. I don't, I can't speak from a woman's perspective and I'm not going to pretend to do that. But I do know from my own personal perspective, like you're respectful, especially when you realize that there is a chance for conflict and there's a chance for uh, that, which also is almost interesting because like the opposite is true. Like when I see a, um, like a little kid, like if a three-year-old gets mad at me, and he and and then it starts smacking me because they're angry whatever whatever reason i don't feel any threat i'm just like oh buddy i got you man i'm here for you it's different and that's 
that's what I feel like it's like to be a trained martial artist in a mm. general society. Mm. You see someone piping Where, up and you realize they're just freaking out. Yeah. I mean, like most of the time, why is somebody freaking out on me anyways? It's because they're dealing with something within their own heart and their own mind. And as you become increasingly more comfortable with conflict and you become increasingly more invested into your own body and your own self-awareness process, then the result of that is just you become so much more self-assured, you know? And so like the acceptance that you end up finding, at least me, the acceptance that I find in a community, like my community of friends that I've crafted right now, I was like top level, top Mm -hmm. level. And it's because I'm coming to it with wholeness, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm coming to it with wholeness. And so then, you know, like there, and, and since I know that one, I'm willing to face confrontation, then uh there's always but i also know like i have where i'm at within that group i don't i don't always need to be like since i feel self-assured i feel self-assured as i am so i don't need to be number one all the time i don't need to step on stage i have no problem lifting my homies up and being like bro let's get it because i want to see them genuinely i want to see them win in every way possible i want to elevate my fellow you know brothers and sisters because i'm so i'm self-assured within myself to a certain you know and i'm i'm i say that because like i try to avoid uh using language that locks me into certain possibilities i think one of the biggest lessons and things that i do with myself that changed my whole life was when I realized that I needed to become very precise and tactical with my words, mm-hmm. you know? And so that, that's, that's been a big thing. And why, but, um, what, what, what's the importance of being precise and tactical with your words? Because how we speak is how we think mm. and how you think is how you'll feel and how you think and feel will radically influence the choices that you make in the ways in which you behave, you know, because everything is existing between cause and effect everything everything is existing so if so so someone says oh these are just words right these are just words and and you realize that actually they have power the language has an effect they have an actual because you're programming your mind yeah um i don't know if you have your computer like up around you could look up this quote yeah but there's a quote by a famous samurai this samurai's name is miyamoto musashi yeah. This was a guy who dueled people to the death with a samurai sword. <laughs> yeah. And um, he's arguably the most famous samurai. In fact, he's a ronin. Yeah. Kind of interesting. He's a ronin. He's a ronin samurai, which basically means he's a samurai with no master. Um, he had a quote, and I'm just going to paraphrase it, but it was alluding to the effect that for those who know the power of a blade, of a weapon, they don't mess with it because it can cut and kill. And for those who know the power of words, they don't mess with those either because they can cut and kill. And it's like the closer you get to death and the closer you get to somebody else having killed you or the closer you get to conflict, the more you're like, why are we doing this? We don't have to do yeah. this. You understand Which, like, the true this impact. Is like the true impact. Yeah. And I think we're in a really interesting time that we're having this podcast because as we're talking, there is a there's a conflict happening between groups of men in the Ukraine and Russia. And, and, and men are men, uh, you know, 18, you know, 18 on up, you know, they're fighting and dying right now, like literally fighting to the death. 
yeah. uh, here in this world and in war i mean we we have to have this capacity to sit into conflict and to be sensitive and to sit in the in the pocket of pain because there's a type of conflict in not choosing to go the full to go full conflict there is a type of conflict you know like let's say um to give you an example of this like let's say you're out at a bar you're with your woman right and um somebody approaches your woman and he's being he's being that guy mm-hmm. you know like the kind of male who's got some internal work to do he he sees your beautiful girl uh he is attracted to her he has some physical needs with his sexuality and and he's just deploying the worst mechanisms at getting her attention possible yeah. you know and uh and you go over to him and you're like hey man this is my girl and then in this moment he 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 receives that experience as if he's now somehow less than and in response to that he gets aggro with you yeah right yeah maybe yeah. even he's in, he starts using his words to cut you cuz words cut mm-hmm. so he's playing with his words he doesn't understand and that he, he doesn't understand the power of his words and the internet is a great reflection of that example because the internet has given people way too much permission to be disrespectful to people without being punched in the face for it yeah. because there is a line there's a there's an eventual and each person has to really search their own soul for where that line is because once you engage in combat you better be ready to die yeah and if you're not at that point where like and that's why for me it's like i don't want to fight anybody because i don't want to hurt anybody and i don't want anybody to hurt me so i'm going to do every single thing within my tactical capabilities and skill sets to bring us back to love and harmony and understanding So the only way that you'll ever catch me in a physical conflict is because that individual literally did not allow me to deploy any other mechanism to changing the outcome. Yeah. You 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 understand the price of physical pain and violence and so you want to avoid it at all costs. And the thing is most people that troll people online there is no threat of altercation. There is mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. You, it is there is no, there is no, I want to say punishment, but essentially there isn't, there is no punishment for, for disrespect. And if you said half of the things, a fraction of the things that happen online to someone's face, it would not, you would very quickly find out how, you know, can you back up your words with action? Can you, and that's what most yes. people don't do. They'll, they'll, they'll shit and run. They'll shit on the scene and, most- and they'll take off. And most people are living in that scenario. They're living in a complete and total fantasy land. It's completely disconnected from reality. And 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 I that conflict thing that I was referencing is like if that's happening, you're you may want to hit this person. Yeah. You in inside of you, you might be going, this motherfucker is being absolutely disrespectful to my woman. He's being absolutely disrespectful to me. He's used his words in the most flagrant of ways. He's postured his body to me with threats of danger he's declared he's made declarations of attack yeah right so how much like physical posturing verbal gesturing energetic gesturing plus you now add 
the the vocalization of intent to attack to it how much of that before i get to just hit you in the fucking mouth yeah yeah you see what i'm saying like how much do i have to take before like you keep elevating this thing and you're not you know so then i have to sit and hold my own internal you know because like i got to be able to feel like that conflict within me should i hit this person should i not because it is a decision to make yeah and and it should only really be used in self-defense purposes like really last second self-defense purposes yeah but the the people don't if you're not used to that and if you're not used to the conflict you're not used to the the repercussions of the conflict like if you don't yes if you're used to popping off at the at the mouth and not getting popped in the mouth, then you don't really understand and appreciate the fact that this this thing can turn wildly violent in a, in a fraction of a time. And, and your whole life can be ruined forever. Yeah, that yeah. used to be clear. Your whole life can be ruined forever over what? Over a, over a conversation in a bar? Over, yeah. over what, over 50, over 500 bucks, over 15 grand, over 20 grand. You see what I'm saying? Like yeah. a lot of people make these decisions and, and, and they're making the decisions because they're not under emotional control. They couldn't yeah. deal with the internal emotional conflict. Yeah. Right. So yeah. that's where then it, you have like why you need an, a, a movement practice to drive you into your heart. Because you need to train you because there's only in the Marines, they used to say there's two kinds of people trained and untrained. I spent a lot of time with that phrase because it felt it rang true to me instantly. I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. There's only two kinds of people trained and untrained. I could feel it right away. Now, what I like to say is there's only one kind of person trained. It's just what are you training? Mm. Yeah. And so, right. So what are you training? Yeah. And that's the thing, yeah, you're, you're either training yourself to fail or training yourself to succeed. And I mean, is that kind of why, do you feel like the only way to foster a joyful community is through personal transformation, personal connection? Is that, is that why that is, in order to be joyful, you have to have the transformation? Yeah, and yes, yes, because, well, one, I can't, I can't ask you to change. I mean, I can, but there's no yeah. guarantee that you do it, right? Yeah. Like in anybody who's been in a relationship with a person, you know, they know that, you know, anytime you've been in a friendship, now they may, they may decide to like, you know, like they may decide to like making an adjustment for you, right? But yeah. what's, what, where can you guarantee your success? Can I guarantee success in attempting to change the outside world? No. And if you look at humanity, Humanity is repeating the same mechanism of attempting to change everybody else. (laughs) And it's it's never worked. It's never worked. The whole of humanity, the whole of our political systems ubiquitously across the globe is those people need to change. Yeah. Yep. Now imagine if everybody go, God, well, by golly, these mechanisms, they're not working. It is not working. What if rather than asking all those people to change, what if I just had the internal fortitude to go, you know what, I'll change. Yeah. And, and by, by change, I mean, how do I make myself live within the world that I'm offered? Yeah. Yeah. And that's that, and that's that conf- confronting yourself and not the world. 
Yeah. Exactly. Because, because if you, if you confront yourself, the world will change, the, the society will change as a natural consequence because societies are only reflection reflected of, of individuals. Yeah. It's so, I mean, if, yeah, I'm, I've noticed that there's a lot of things that you have in terms of uh, being willing to face yourself so that you have the strength to kind of face the world is what, how would you define, how would you define your Holy grail? Like, how would you define your flag in the sand, big purpose? uh, How would I define? Well, I would say, am I living blissfully and exuberantly? Hmm. Got it. So that, so it's just returning to that state where you 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 need nothing and are happy for everything. That that state where you have that. that yeah, and and you're, you need you you need nothing and you have everything because you have everything that you need already within you. Then, mm. if anything comes into your life, whether that be a partner, a Ferrari, a job opportunity, a book deal an opportunity to be a character in a video game to work on, you know, whatever Mm -hmm. that is, then these are all bonuses, baby. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm living in abundance land, big dog. I'm like, this is all, this is all bonus material. Then I get to be extra excited because I got all this bonus, Mm -hmm. you know, now, now, now it's like, man, I can't even, you know, because we operate so much thinking that we're owed things. And yeah. we're not owed anything. Yeah. Like, like we're not owed anything. The creator, the creator gave us the most precious and infinite gift ever, which was the experience of life itself. And everything beyond that point is a bonus. A hundred percent. Everything beyond that point is a bonus. Yeah. It, that I think is one of the biggest sufferings that we cause is the fact that we we feel the world owes us i've worked so hard i don't have to work any hard because i've already worked hard i've already struggled enough i don't have i shouldn't have to struggle anymore i've done Mm -hmm. so much i don't i i deserve x because i've done y or just because which is really is 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 that the dragon or what is the dragon that prevents it's the, the state of bliss there's many yeah there, there's there's actually many but they're all self-created mm-hmm. and that's a that's a hard that's a hard dragon to wake up to yeah is that they're all self-created because it's so much easier to want to say that it's because of this or it's because of that now and it's even more convincing and it's such a powerful sales proposition because because you could easily map out a features benefits list and sell yourself on why your life sucks because of X, Y, Z external thing. Yeah. But, but think about this, bro. Humanity has always faced challenges and it, like forever, man. And, and it, it, forever, it's like, it's never been easy. I mean, shoot, I think up until it was like the 1860s, the average life expectancy of a male was like 42. <laughs> You know what uh, I'm saying? Yeah, it's easier than it's ever been. It's oh my e- god! Easy. I could, I could, I could order a, a, you know, I could order food and a sofa and have it be here in like, you know, the next couple of hours with a, with a click of a button versus trying to go and cut down a tree and cut carve that into a shape and grow my own food. 
it's ridiculous, dude. And and we're still there's still that suffering, there's still that unhappiness. If, if, but it should be yes. easier. We should get more things. Yes, for free. and so so what we need to wake up to as a society is yeah. that we live in a time period where there are more comforts and conveniences than any other time in human history. From food, medicine, access to information, education, technology, connection, everything. We are literal kings and queens, yet can we say that we're the most loving generation of humans? Can we say that we're the most pleasant generation of human beings? Can we say that we're the most generous generation of human beings? Can we say that we're the kindest generation of human beings? No, we can't. So that proves to us universally that the solution is not in material achievement yeah the solution only lie within the walls of our own personal uh, uh landscape and universe yeah i think it's 100 percent right and that's the that's the that's the great awakening to that the understanding that you know all that stuff is nice but it's not what's needed for happiness it's not what needed for commitment it's not what's needed to to actually transform the self what you need the struggle you need that conflict you need that collision of the self in order to mm-hmm, get mm-hmm. is order in order to in order to actually get to that blissful state that you want because it's not going to be given to you it must be acquired now i'm going to give you a sneak peek into the future like let's mm-hmm. fast forward for a person mm-hmm. on this work the more you hammer at that conflict of the self work mm-hmm you will find yourself in all the spaces that all the great mystics universally across this world have spoken about from Rumi, Hafiz, Kabir, Ramana Maharishi, Jesus Christ, Gautama Siddhartha, the Buddha that we all know of as the Buddha, Lao Tzu, all of these amazing mystics, you will find yourself in the same space and you will understand that human beings are exponentially more similar than they are different. And then held within that is a dichotomy where every human being is a unique phenomenon that will only happen in that exact little formula one time in all of human history. And the more you touch the part of yourself that is universal, the more you scream out, I don't want you to be like me. I want you to be different. I want you to like what you like. I want what you are passionate about to come out because imagine a world full of yous. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, imagine it. Like it's, it's the most awful, boring place in the world, but now imagine a world of infinite variety, which is what we have. You see, we keep, we, 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 we have it, man. We are living in heaven and we are not even realizing yeah. We are making a hell out of heaven. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. We're literally, uh, we're, we're at, we are uh, living in heaven while we are creating our own personal hells. And that is, uh, yes. and uh, I think it's incredible. Uh, what I want to say with that, because this has been an incredible conversation is, um, and I want to leave it at that. Is there anything else you'd like to let people know about before you tell them how to get a hold of you? Um, you know, I would just like to let everybody know that, that what, what you're, if you are out, if you are seeking, what you're seeking is seeking you, you know, and there are signs that it's all around you. And if you can just start to tune in and listen and, 
And if you're having trouble with where to start and, and you're not ready even for a movement practice of any real seriousness, go walk in the woods. Just, just get out of the city, go get into nature and nature itself will start to rebalance you. Nature itself, just unplug from your phone. You don't got to you know, go out and, you know, go for big, long weekend camping trips. It can be a 30 minute hour long walk through a forest where you're just not connected to your, you know, to your phone and, and you're, and you're just observing life around you. And when, and, and just let yourself take in the experience. Um, and, and I just want everybody out there to know that genuinely somebody in this world really wants them to, to have their their peak happiness and their peak external well-being and i hope that they go get it i hope that they do it for themselves and that they do it for their families and for their communities and for whatever else is important to them that they, that the time is now make make the commitment face yourself and and make the magic happen love it brother and if people want to get a hold of you how do they do that um well if they want to get a hold of me uh they can email me at matthew at matthewcoder.com uh, they could, you know, uh, I have a small YouTube channel that I'm just getting started, really. Um, so I'm, I'm working through uh, putting out more content there. And that will be my main focus in the, in the coming years is just putting everything on YouTube. You can find me on Instagram uh, at Matthew Coder. It might still be at the American Yogi. That might still be how you can find me there, too. Uh, you can find me on Facebook um, or my websites, MatthewCoder.com or TheLivingYoga.com. Love it. Matthew, absolute honor, pleasure, brother. Uh, thank you so much for taking this time to chat with us. This has been incredible. Uh, much love, my friend. And I will see you on the other side. All right, man. Thank you so much, brother. Love you, bro. Love you too, brother. Take care now. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Heroes of Reality podcast. Check out heroesofreality.com for more episodes. While you're there, you can also take the Heroes quiz to find out what kind of hero you are. Or if you have a great story and want to be on the podcast, tell us why your hero's journey will inspire others. Thank you for listening. See you on the other side.